Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have the Dean of Students at Calvary Christian School, a gentleman who is a history major. He's currently getting his master's degree, and he is a well-learned and well-studied person. And this sermon is just phenomenal. The title is The Prophet Could Die in Egypt, where he's really covering themes of the entire Bible and applies it in a powerful way to the students in chapel. You will not regret listening to this message. Something else you will not regret is signing up for IBC Music Fest if you have a chance, or happening just the day before Music Fest starts if you are a pastor. Our Pastor's Day happens March 29th. And if you are a pastor of a current student, we would love to have you on campus. You can sign up for Pastor's Day at our website forward slash Pastor's Day. You can also sign up for Music Fest at ibcmusicfest.com. And hey, if you have a team, you can all come together for that one weekend and be here for both events. Right now, Brother Andrew Herbst, the prophet could die in Egypt. Amen. Praise the Lord, IBC. It is fantastic to be here at Indiana Bible College. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Turner. Appreciate him and his family so much. Love them very much. I remember Tuesday, there there was still uh, student body prayer on Tuesdays when we were IBC students. It was a long time ago. And after Tuesday night, that was my time to go to my student body president's room and and hang out with Brother Turner after Tuesday night prayer. That's some fond memories I have. And of course, thank you to the other IBC staff, so many great leaders up here that were so instrumental in my life. And of course, to Pastor Carson, love him very much. And uh, just special honor, I always feel the need to do this, to give special honor to uh, Brother Kilman and Brother Galleon, just such instrumental mentors in my life, and I love and appreciate them very much. How many IBC uh, Minnesota students we got out there? All right, I had to give a little shout out, and I see so many CCS students as well. It's just great to to be here with you today. Amen. We're going to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took took a wife, a daughter of Levi, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Verse 10 says, And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Today I I felt this challenge to preach the prophet could die in Egypt. The prophet could die in Egypt. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory today because you have a name that is exalted and we pray, Lord, that you would come quickly. But if you tarry, God, I pray that you would touch this service, that you would move in this place in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I need a couple gentlemen to help me out. I just need you to pick up your chair and come and put it right up here. I'm going to have Zachary Cox. You're going to come right up here first. 
Liam Taylor, Cam Hunter, Kyle, where are you at? Is Samuel Luttrell here? All right. So you can just set him up, make sure Zachary is first, and then just go seven all the way down. Thank you so much. If we are not careful, we can cherry-pick the life highlights of ministers and then arrive at the wrong conclusions as to what the meaning of success is. Success is portrayed all around us through entertainment, athletics, and other standards. But if you'll just walk with me a little bit through Israel's history, we're going to gain just a quick glimpse of how God views success. But first of all, now, this is not going to be the most glamorous thing here. These are not the greatest signs. I apologize. It's the best I could do. But the first event that we have that we are going to start with today is the prophet being born in Egypt. Somebody say born in Egypt. This is a recall of a promise that takes us all the way back to the time of Abraham, where God said, there's going to be a, a, a massive blessing of your descendants, and they're going to go to a faraway land and become slaves, but there will come a time of deliverance. And of course, these promises at the end of Exodus had not really even started yet. We don't even see the beginning of these promises until moving into the book of Exodus. But for 400 years, the promise did tarry. But eventually, we come to the situation where the prophet, Brother Liam, is going to lead the people out of Egypt. And, and God is going to, he's going to tell Moses, I'm going to lead you out with a strong hand. And we, we read of the, the plagues, and we read of God uh, tearing down the, the idolatrous uh, worship, these idols. And the news reached all the way to Canaan, to where even the Canaanites were afraid uh, of this promise that was coming to pass. But even in the wilderness years, we, we can see there were some, some down moments, but it still says of Moses that there did not arise another prophet like Moses. So then we come to our next leader, of course, who is, everybody say his name, Joshua. Thank you for the one person. Joshua. What does it say in chapter 1? Numerous times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and and courageous because you are going to move in to the next realm of God's faithfulness. The people are out of Egypt, Joshua, so you can't be Moses, so don't even try to be Moses. God gave a specific job for Moses, we could say, so don't labor to achieve what was for Moses. You need to achieve what I have for you. A successful Joshua will not try to be Moses, but recognize that he has been called by the same God. Amen. So Jericho, we come to find out, Brother Camden, is the next step. Jericho is subdued. Jericho is conquered. And then the, this, this whole book of Joshua, we see laying out chapter after cha chapter that God fulfills and he says, I'm going to drive out some of the Canaanites, but then you are going to have to put some work into this as well. We need to do our part. You as these Israelites, you need to go forth and go to battle because you will enact God's judgment upon the wickedness of the Canaanites. 
So then we come to find out that, that the promised land begins to actually become the promised land. The, the children of Israel begin to conquer these nations that are around them. Do we remember these stories? They go through and, and uh, the, the uh, Israelites in Joshua 12, it says, they conquered 31 kings and the tribes established themselves in this promised land. So, Brother Marcus, Israel conquered the promised land. Are we doing okay? I'm so thankful for Connect Preview Weekend. I, I, I am a product of, of that weekend. So you don't know the ministry that you are going to be doing to these incoming students and the lives you're going to bless. So I want to encourage you, encourage you there. So a little bit later, of course, we have the, the turbulent time of the judges. But there comes a man of God in this time of turbulence named Samuel. Because I believe a successful minister, Brother Rodenbush, is going to be somebody that can be a rock when the whole world is going chaos in sin and destruction and evil. So Samuel is a stabilizing force. He's this prophet, this great leader. And we come to find out, what do we find out? That according to Genesis 17, God told Abraham, kings are going to come out of you. And who do we find in 1 Samuel is the first king of Israel, and the kingdom is established, Brother Joel. Now, we know that Saul was not this shining example of what it would be to be a good and righteous king. But we meet a young David who comes out in his most famous battle, is this battle against a giant. And the Bible takes so much time to, to describe to us, uh, Brother Josh, the, the, what, what Goliath looked like, his stature, his war prowess, his armor. And Brother Henderson, it's great to me that David then, yes, he rejects Saul's armor because a successful David knows that you can't defeat the world by imitating the world. And so we have to make sure that we are taking a stand and we are taking an opposition. We can't just love God. But Brother Nicholas, we have to love God and we have to hate evil. We have to stand for what is righteous. First, two kings of Israel it's fascinating, again, that he doesn't even get to see the second king of Israel in that position. So you never know when your, your ministry may even outlive you. But David becomes a, a successful king because he will follow the Shema to the best of his ability. And Brother Kilman, you preached a message that struck me so deeply, a passage that has touched my heart for the last couple years from 2 Samuel 5. What does David do to idols? He destroys them. And he becomes a standard for righteousness and righteous kings. And what it means to walk in the will of God as a leader is to love God with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength, and cling to the promise and the calling of the Lord. David loves the Lord so much that what does he want to do? Are we doing okay? I know we're, I'm, I'm building up to something here. So <clears throat> David says, I'm living in this great house that God gave me. But I want to build a house, Brother Will, for God's name. But what does God tell David? You cannot do this. This will be for your son. And that son is going to become the king after you. He's going to build a house for my name. And his kingdom shall not end. Now, of course, Solomon only fulfilled a few of those things. But Solomon becomes the next leader. And he will fulfill the building of the temple. 
So, Brother Hunter, a temple is built, a house is built for God's name. This, to me, I love this because it shows that God is keeping his promises all the way back from Abraham, all the way until now. Because it's kind of like, you know, it's not a tabernacle that's moving. It's a temple that's stationary, meaning you are home now. This is the promised land. We have established the kingdom. This is what I promised to Abraham. And we're going we're gonna to find out in one day that that, that promise is going to become even more full when Jesus comes back to fulfill the other elements. Can I get an amen? Because he is coming back. And he will sit on a throne forever. And he will sit in Jerusalem. And to his, his reign will never end. This is a symbol that God is keeping what he said he would do. And of course, we've, we've kind of moved through these highlights. And, and we've kind of skipped through or passed over a couple situations. But we're going to zone in here on the roadblock. It's this massive three-letter word that always seems to mess everything up. Sin. Because God told the people, if you'll just, if you'll, if you'll listen to me and you'll obey me, there will be these covenant blessings and, and I, will, I will walk with you. It's, I was just uh, reading the other day how in Genesis it says that, that the Spirit of God walked in the garden and then in Leviticus God tells the Israelites that I will be your God and you will be my people and I will walk with you. I will walk among you. So you have this, this, this great covenant blessing, this great promise but, but the people chose to sin. The people chose to deviate from these other gods. And, and we know that, that what you worship will determine how you worship. Whatever you lift up, that will be, you know, those gods dictated certain methods of worship. And, and we're, we don't have to go into all the details, but we know of all of the debauchery. And, and we know of all of the, the, the violence and the sin that is involved in these, uh, these pagan religions. But then we're introduced to people like Isaiah. And we're introduced to people like Amos. And Brother Will, we're introduced to people like Micah and Hosea. Because, you know, what do these guys do? These, these successful ministers, they're standing against the spirit of the age. And they are standing for righteousness when it seems like nobody else is standing for righteousness. And isn't it a tragedy that according to archaeology... Brother Layton, that more idols have been found in Jerusalem than any other part of Israel. The very capital, the very place in Deuteronomy that God said, I'm going to choose a place to put my name. And that place that was a standard for God's presence because where his name was called, that's where he would dwell. And if that's the case, why is there so many idols in the capital city? Do we have more idols in the church than in the world? Thankfully, we see these little elements of revival. The famous King Josiah is eight years old, and he will grow up to be a righteous and a godly leader. In fact, we read in, uh, in the, the course of his reign that he will have a Passover that is greater than any other Passover of all of the kings. And, and it's in this great time of, of revival that we meet a man named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a, is a younger prophet 
And, and we read a very famous scripture from Jeremiah 1 where it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee as a prophet unto the nations. What a promise. What a promise. And, and we can see this revival continuing. Well, let's go ahead and read Second Chronicles 35, 18. It says, There was no Passover like to that kept in his Passover from the days of Samuel the prophet kept. But again, there's that problem creeping in again. Because after Josiah, the sin continued. Josiah has three sons and one grandson. And Brother Kilman says that all of them were wicked. None of them walked in righteousness. Sin continued. And if you read through the, the prophet Jeremiah in 2 Kings, we find out some of the things they were doing, such as Israelites are selling other Israelites. There's even, according to Ezekiel, an idol in the very temple. There's all kinds of inappropriate behavior. There's the, the killing and the sacrificing of babies. This breaking of covenant relationship. And, and the tragedy is, is, you know, God told the Israelites, look, you can come into the land and you're going to displace the Canaanites. But if you start acting like the Canaanites, you will start receiving the same treatment as the Canaanites. Jeremiah, he sees this, and he's preaching out in front of the temple that great sermon from Jeremiah 7, and he's preaching and trying to call the people to righteousness, and, and he writes out these prophecies and hands them to the king, and later in the, in, the, in the book of Jeremiah, and the king throws it in the fire. His own family, Jeremiah's family, tries to plot against him. He's even thrown into a pit. He's plotted. His own life is in jeopardy, and he, he even... Wanted to stop preaching, didn't he? What else do we call Jeremiah? Brother Caleb, the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. And I don't know, I don't want to speculate too much, but could we wonder, Brother Turner, could he have been thinking, man, I wish I was back in the revival days. Man, I wish I was back in the days where things were. Remember that Passover? There was nothing like that. But yet here I am in this moment that God has raised me up for. Because what's shocking is that promise still stands. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And I've ordained thee as a prophet. Well, isn't being a prophet like all this cool stuff, Brother Turner? Like all the miracles and, and all these other things. Now, you have to catch what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that, that we should just be all boohoo and, and sad all the time, but what I'm trying to get us to think about is what is success? Remember, that's what we're talking about today. What is success? Because this promise is still standing. And as the Israelites in, in Judah here, these Jews, as they are acting like Canaanites, they will continue to be treated like Canaanites. And who do we see come in but the Babylonians? Anybody know who Daniel is? What about Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah? What about Ezekiel? These godly men that were taken, Brother Bennett, from their homeland and taken to Babylon. And that, that's why they ended up in Babylon. Because these Babylonians came in. And, you know, what does it say about Nebuchadnezzar? What did God call Nebuchadnezzar? My servant. 
How terrifying is it that someone out in the world, and we know that Nebuchadnezzar will come to believe in God later, but at this moment, how come this this pagan idolatrous worshiper is being used of God, and the people that are quote-unquote God's people are the ones in the receiving position of this judgment? There are three invasions that we read of, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here. But it only gets worse. And in fact, going through Jeremiah in in some of my seminary courses, this shocked me so much in Jeremiah 7.16. God tells Jeremiah, Therefore pray not thou for this people. Things are getting so rebellious, so sinful, that God tells the man of God, Stop praying. Stop interceding. Neither lift up a cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me. Why? For I will not hear them. Then why am I even here, God? Then why did you put me in this pagan place that's supposed to be called by your name? Why am I even a prophet if I can't Even pray, Brother Jonathan. But that promise, Brother Rodenbush, is still there. I knew thee. I've ordained thee. I've called thee. You're still in my will. And and Brother Gallon, you shared some things in public that, you know, you didn't go to Alaska for glamour. And yes, all the the mountains and the fishing, we love that. We talk about that all the time. But the stories that Brother Galleon has shared have rocked me so much of how he's going and praying with people in those intense moments. You aren't going for the glamour. You are going for the call of God. Brother Galleon, that, that is such an example to me, to us. Why are we even here? Why are we even in ministry? Why are we doing God's will in these circumstances, in this time of chaos, we need to stand for truth even when no one else does. We understand this. We know this. And and while Daniel and Ezekiel, while they are in exile, because that's what we call this, that time of exile is, is beginning right now, it's in this moment that Jeremiah wrote a very famous passage. Jeremiah 29, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, don't get mad at me, but I think we love to read this in partial context. The readers are in exile, and they're not coming home. We love to read this as in, you know, a little bit later in my life, something great is going to happen. But these exiles... Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 25, the exile is going to last for 70 years. And now we do know that some came back and the temple was built and they remembered the first temple. There's a few of them. But the overall majority of the people reading that passage are not coming home. There's hope and future for Israel that God will redeem his people, but not necessarily redeem each individual. Oh, Jesus, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And again, just... Thinking about Jeremiah, why do we normally place ourselves as the reader of this passage? Why don't we make ourselves the writer? 
Does that make sense? We read this as in we want to receive the promise. But there was a writer named Jeremiah that is not receiving that promise. There's a writer named Jeremiah that was in the will of God to write that passage to encourage somebody that's not even in in the home, the, the covenant home. And so what happens to Jeremiah? There's hope for his readers, but for the author it remained distant. And I couldn't help but think through this, Sister Turner, that our outcome as ministers, it might be different than the people that we're ministering to, that we are serving and, and we come to the final invasion. And Brother Turner, these two things are going to happen pretty much at the same time. Brother Hunter, I want you to tear the one up here that you are holding there. Tear it up or crumple it, do something. Because when the Babylonians come in, that temple is demolished. It's demolished so much, and of course there's a lot of politics going in here, but there are not even remnants of that temple left. Because if you're, not, if you're not living by the name that called you, you don't get the name. You don't get the presence. As, as God's presence came down during the dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed the longest prayer in the Bible, 1 Kings 8, and God's power came into that temple. And of course, we know that that happens in Acts chapter 2, but right now, we're in a moment where the, the presence of God is in the temple, but Ezekiel sees the presence of God leave the temple. Jeremiah, this minister called by God, no one is listening to him. In fact, it's worse. They accuse him and they persecute him. And, 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 and again, this is, this, I don't want to speculate, but just if Jeremiah is thinking this way, is he, is he thinking about other people in Israelite history? Maybe, maybe somebody like Jonah, you know, he preached just a little bit and a foreign nation came to God. Jeremiah is in God's capital and they can't even have revival. Of course, Jonah had his own problems. But in this same event here, Brother Joel, tear yours up. Because the Babylonians come in, and over the span of time, the temple is destroyed, as well as the kingdom. Second Kings 25 says that the city was broken up. The city is broken up. I'm going to try to move quickly here. Brother Marcus, tear yours up. Because... We see the reversal. This is not Israel in control of the promised land anymore. Instead, foreigners come in and take over Israel's land now. Jeremiah 52, 8 says that the Babylonians came in and they overtook Zedekiah. Now, who's Zedekiah? He was the son, Brother Henderson, of the righteous King Josiah. But this evil King Zedekiah... Where was he overtaken? In the plains of Jericho. Tear yours up. A return to Jericho. Something that used to be viewed as this great victory is now viewed as where the last king of Judah fell. Because now, in, in what happens, he is the, this evil supposed to be God's king, comes up and, and they bring him up, the Babylonians before the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And what is the last thing 
Brother, the sleeve that Zedekiah sees is the execution of all of his sons on the same rock. And then to, I don't know, just infuse that in his brain. The Zedekiah's eyes are removed. They put a hook in his nose and lead him to Babylon where he will die in captivity. The last thing he saw, the last memories that he would have of his actual vision is the destruction of his kingdom and the death of his own family members. The reversal of what we are trying to see throughout this moment here. And Brother Galleen, in one generation, in one generation, what took up years of promises to be fulfilled, in one generation, Jeremiah saw the reversal of it all. In one generation, he saw the temple destroyed, the kingdom destroyed. What about this Davidic covenant, God? What about this, this son of David that's supposed to rule? We just saw all of these sons die, and we saw the king is led away in captivity. What about your promise? Don't there. They're in Jerusalem, but they desire to go somewhere else. Where do they want to go? To the, at this time in history, the, the great enemy of Babylon was Egypt. They, they, the Jews expressed this desire that we need to go, Brother Brandon, back to Egypt so that we can realign and maybe get some allies and we can fight off the Babylonians that just, that just destroyed us. But God says, don't do it. The prophet goes up and begins to preach. Don't do it. Don't go. This is not God's will. You need to stay here. And isn't it fascinating that Jeremiah even told them, God says, you need to surrender before everything was destroyed. You need to surrender. They called him a traitor. But now he's telling them, don't go to Egypt. But do they listen? Jeremiah 43, verse 2, then spake Azariah and Johanan and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. And verse 4 says, they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Verse 5 says that Johanan and all of the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah. And then we get to verse 6. They took the remnant, even the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters, and Jeremiah. The prophet. Brother Liam, crumple that up. Instead of the prophet leading the people out of Egypt, the people have now led the prophet back to Egypt. Jeremiah, his last speeches, chronologically speaking, are in chapter 44. The book goes to chapter 52, but in the chronology, his last sermon is chapter 44. And where is he? He is in Egypt preaching to the Jews. But his message, Brother Turner, has not changed. When you read chapter 44, it sounds a lot like chapter 7. Sounds a lot like these other previous chapters because the people, even though they left Jerusalem, they moved to Egypt and they're still worshiping idols, the very reason why their kingdom was destroyed in the first place. But the message stayed the same because it doesn't matter if we are in revival Jerusalem, pagan Jerusalem, or pagan Egypt. Sin is still sin and sin will never succeed 
Sin will never be, be victorious. And I believe a successful minister will stand against sin no matter where God places them. His last sermon ends with a promise that Egypt will be given over to her enemies. And Brother Kilman, God is faithful in his blessings and in his cursing. But what about Jeremiah's promise? Didn't he have a promise even before he was born? Don't we read chapter 29, verse 11? Don't, didn't Jeremiah have something that God gave him? But I think, Brother Josh, that Jeremiah understood something. That his life, God's kingdom, his preaching, Jeremiah's preaching, it was never about Jeremiah. It was never about him. His life potentially teaches what we hear from the great John the Baptist that I must decrease so that he can increase. God, help me to minister through me, not for me, God. Help me to be a minister. We like that passage, 2911. Because so much of our culture of Christianity has developed into being me-centered, if you'll allow me to say it like that, instead of kingdom-centered. But a successful minister. Because God doesn't call you to be popular. He's calling you to be faithful. Because true success is about faithfulness. Although no biblical record exists of Jeremiah's death. The last sermon he gave in Egypt, scholars believe, Zachary, that the prophet died in Egypt. Are you still willing to be faithful if you are called to Egypt? Some of you are going to have to leave the comforts of your home. Missionaries, church planners. There's a youth group somewhere, Brother Turner, that needs, maybe it's only six people, but they need a rock of somebody that will stand for truth. Somebody that's going to stand for righteousness. And even though possibly Jeremiah died in Egypt, his legacy does not end there. We come to a book of somebody we've already mentioned, the prophet Daniel. It says in Daniel 9-2, in the years, meaning that 70 years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. That he, God, would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And Daniel falls on his face. He says, I set my face unto the Lord God 
to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And you read chapter 9, it's this beautiful prayer of covenant repentance, of, of reminding God of that, God, you are a faithful God. These 70 years have been completed. Why did, why did Daniel open up his door, or excuse me, his window, and pray towards Jerusalem all those times? Because Solomon said in chapter 1 Kings 8 that, God, if we sin, which happened, and you take us away to a foreign land, which happened, if we look towards this house, will you forgive us and bring us back here? And Daniel understood that, and he prayed, and he sought God. And what does God do? He sends an angel with a vision, and he gives Daniel this great vision, not just of the immediate time, but of the future. Because Jeremiah's legacy did not end in Egypt. This is spoken, what Daniel was reading here, spoken by a minister who possibly died in Egypt, read by somebody in Babylon. The two, could we say there's any greater example of worldliness in the Bible but Egypt and Babylon? But the message was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem is our home. And we're looking for a new Jerusalem one day. I am. I'm looking for that day that we're going to come and we're going to stand around that throne and we're going to cast our thrones down and we're going to say, oh, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Because Babylon's not your home. Egypt is not your home. But it is Jerusalem. The words of Jeremiah 31, scholars say, are quoted at the Last Supper when Jesus says, For this is my blood of the New Testament that is shed for the remission of sins. Because Jeremiah's legacy did not end in Egypt. The music can come. Zachary's grandfather's name is Lester Lear. I'm, I'm um, from his church. Brother Lear baptized me. <clears throat> They're in a new building now, but a couple years ago was our last service in the old building that they had been in, I can't even remember, the 70s or something like that. And they got some of the, some of the elders, some of the, <clears throat> some of the leaders this last service, Sunday night, and we had a little bit of a <clears throat> worship service, and then they called up some of these elders and kind of gathered around. And <clears throat> excuse me. And, and they were asking him questions. What's the most memorable moment? What's the, the greatest move of God? What, just things like that. But then there was kind of a funny question. What was the funniest thing that happened in that church building? And, and I feel, you know, Brother Lear said this publicly. You know, Brother Kilman, Brother Lear, he, he, you know, he's not the most emotional guy. If he raises his hand, you know, something's moving. And he's just a great man of God. <clears throat> just steadfast. And this is what he said. <clears throat> he said, if you've ever heard me preach, you'll understand this. He said, funniest thing that I think happened is that this church let me pastor for 10 years. Zachary, did he say that? You probably don't even remember. 
But that's, that was his answer. I think the funniest thing that happened to me in this building is that the congregation let me pastor for 10 years. So how do we define success? Because <clears throat> my dad loves Brother Lear. And before I was old enough to really know what was going on, there were two times that this happened. My dad said, if anybody ever speaks ill of Brother Lear, they're going to hear from me. Because before Brother Lear was the pastor, there were some other pastors that were trying to take the church out of the truth. There are these other pastors that were getting new revelation or, or whatever, whatever their arguments were. And, and two times Brother Lear had to make a stand and go to those men and say, you do what you think is right, but do not take this church out of the truth. He put some relationships on the line. And he stood for what was right. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many Mankato students we have in this room? You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Brother Lear standing for righteousness. In the past year, I've had two nieces and one nephew get the Holy Ghost. They're in a new building that was a miracle. So how do you determine what success is? You might say, I'm the worst preacher there is. You might, you might not have the glamour. You may not have the lights and the applause, but what are you standing for? Where is your faithfulness? What legacy will you produce after? What are you going to do with where God has placed you? Because if you are called to Egypt, you can die there and it will be okay. Because you can still be in God's will. Jeremiah doesn't have mass miracles. Jeremiah doesn't have mass conversions that he can post the numbers online. Jeremiah doesn't have these, these great moments. But what Jeremiah has is a consistent legacy of standing for truth. Truth against opposition. your unwavering position on truth. My last line here. What is success? You can be a successful minister and die in Egypt. God help us not to be dazzled as the old preacher said, by Damascus. That's another sermon. But God, help us not to be dazzled by the lights. Help us not to be dazzled by the applause of men. Even if we see all of the destruction in the world, even if we saw a reversal of what all God had built up, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for righteousness, even if it's going to cost me, even if somebody takes me against my will to somewhere where I don't want to be. God is calling some of you to great places of ministry that are not going to be great by the world's standard. Some of you are being called to places that you're afraid to go to, and that's okay because God's going to be with you. God didn't forsake Jeremiah in Egypt.
God did not forsake Jeremiah in Egypt. If the prophet dies in Egypt, that is still successful. I would just ask if we could come to this altar or if you want to pray where you are, but let's just confirm to God that I don't need lights. I don't need the glamour. I don't need what this world says or what denominal Christianity says. I don't have to have this grand church of of whatever, but God, just help us. You're praying for your future right now because you don't know who's going to come into the truth after you have passed on. You don't know. You don't know what God has in store. You don't know the people. Where are the Daniels in your ministry? Where are the Ezekiels in your ministry? Maybe one day somebody will walk in and hear of the legacy that you have built up by God's authority and God's power. And they will be moved and there will be revival in that place because of your legacy of God moving on you, of you trusting in God no matter where you are.